setting just a few weeks ago when uh, there were three students that were coming to get baptized. And they gave a testimony. They were declaring their allegiance to who Jesus Christ was and what he had done for them through obedience and water baptism. And it was interesting. One student was an engineering student from Nigeria. The other was a 300-pound lineman from Tonga with long hair, long beard, tattoos everywhere. We actually couldn't fill the baptismal trough up to its pin- pinnacle because when we put them under the water, the water will come up over the edges and like make a big mess. And then we also had another kid from Wichita who uh, is a little bit more quiet, shy, reserved, very bright, very brilliant, loves video games. And I'm just looking at the three of their lives and how seemingly different they are in terms of background, in terms of, of race, in terms of preferences, but the good news impacted each one of their lives. And so even as we're, we're listening in today and we're considering this series in the, in the book of Romans where Paul is writing this incredible letter that, that's, that's trying to bring a unification between uh, you know, two, a divided church, uh, man, that's so true to understand and to hold firmly to that, I know that it's more than just a tagline, but indeed, the good news of God is for everyone. It's for everyone. But at the same time, as I am excited, I'm a little bit intimidated because we know, like, the book of Romans unpacks some very deep, deep truths. And Paul does it in such a magnificent way that there are actually uh, some current scholars that say Paul is communicating these deep truths in such an eloquent way that it would, it would actually show and point towards that Paul is communicating at a level that he would have four PhDs. It's like, okay, it's like, Jonathan, I appreciate the, <laughs> the endorsement. Of, hey, I'm a, I'm a good communicator, but I look behind me and my name, and I've got zero PhDs. <laughs> and then I consider the team of guys over the weeks that have had an opportunity to share different chapters, uh, different subjects here. Uh, you know, Jonathan, John McDermott, Dave Diefendorf, and I know those guys for years, hey, they don't have any PhDs, but if you like pull all of the letters in our name together, <laughs> like you can get a PhD out of there some way, <laughs> somehow. And so by the grace of God, we're going to keep looking into these things. And so I think Jonathan did a great job in talking about uh, the book of Romans overall and how people usually think about it. And the, the first 11 chapters are really significant uh, and are really the pinnacle of what Paul is trying to communicate. Uh, there's so many, uh, you know, deep truths, you know, salvation, justification, sanctification, Christmas vacation, all those things are covered, like in the first 11 chapters. But it's interesting, there's a transition that takes place in chapter 12, 13, and all the way through 16 that doesn't necessarily mean that they're any less important than what happened in the first uh, 11 chapters, but it really points towards, hey, how are we then to live because what God has done for us? Yeah. All right. And so really, that's your that should be our mindset this morning. That's to really play as the backdrop or the setting with looking into these these verses. And um, and as I was preparing this message, there was uh, a question that I was asking myself that I think may be helpful for you guys to consider as well as we're looking into these two chapters. And the question is this. Um, Are we living the life that Christ has made available to us or are we letting life happen to us? And so the title of the message is Let's Live. And so a question, man, are we living life or are we letting life? And I'm really encouraged because some of the themes that I'm going to touch on are actually touched upon 
in the worship songs that we were singing. And that wasn't orchestrated. We didn't conversate about that. But I'm confident that means that the Holy Spirit is wanting to do something this morning. All right, so are we living life or are we letting life? And so just by way of uh, defining the terms, what, what does it look like to let life happen to us? And uh, a few things come to mind. When we, when we let life happen to us, uh, we're a victim. Uh, we get caught in a victim mentality. We can live passively. We can live as a spectator. Or we're driven by external forces. So when we let life happen to us, that is a type of fruit that's produced in our life. That is a type of life that is reflected. Man, victim, passive, external forces always determining the direction of your life. But when we live life, the life that Christ has made available to us, our life looks very different. And what does that look like? Man, we look and we live as victors. I right, mean, think about even in your mind's eye, the victory that took place a few blocks away. All right, think about how exciting, how energizing, how infectious that was. Man, our lives have the capacity to look like that on a daily basis as we allow our lives to live the way that Christ has made available. All right, when we live a life, we live with an urgency. We live on a mission. And also, our lives aren't driven by external forces, but our lives have the capacity to be driven by an internal force, the very Spirit of God. So what kind of life do you want to live? Do you want to live the life that Christ has made available through the cross, or do you just want to let life happen to us as you go about our daily lives? And I think Paul speaks a lot about this. And so here, we're going to turn towards the text, uh, Romans uh, chapter 12, and And again, I'm sure that there are uh, a lot of uh, people's favorite verses kind of woven in these two chapters, and we won't have the opportunity to unveil or unpack all these verses. But that's why it's important that you guys follow along on several of the devotionals that we have. Uh, But here, let's just take a look and see what the Word of God has to say, starting in Romans 12, chapter 1. Again, this is Paul. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, To give your bodies to God because all he has done. Let them be living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Do not copy the behavior or the customs of this world, but allow God to transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. All right, a lot of you guys are probably familiar with uh, those first two verses in Romans chapter 12. Um, very heartfelt, but I think it's important to note that in the beginning of this chapter, he starts out with a plea. Okay? He is, hey, because what God has done, pointing back to chapters 1 through 11, because what, what God has done, I plea, I urge, I beg you to listen to what's about to be said. To listen to this way of living that is available to us. So it's nothing that we can approach with casually. You know, a lot of times we can read this text and maybe read it monotone and say, hey, I want to get to the good stuff after this, but it's important. There is an urgent cry that Paul is wanting us to take note of, to lean into in the way that we should live. And he goes on to say, he says, man, that we should live as a living sacrifice. Right, is a living sacrifice. Now, I think oftentimes 
when we think about sacrifice in this day and age, we can think about maybe a sacrifice that comes from um, a worker school. So, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go in early, I'm going to stay late, I'm going to be more committed, I'm going to offer up this uh, mental and physical sacrifice at work or at school, and then as a result of that, on the other end, I'm going to be able to benefit more. Are you guys familiar with that kind of sacrifice? Probably the sacrifice that most Americans are familiar with. But I believe that the sacrifice that Paul is talking about in this verse is something very different. And I think he's actually pointing back to the sacrificial system that many of the people of that day would be familiar with. So prior to the cross, as people would come to atone for their sins, they would have to sacrifice an animal, a spotless bull or goat, whatever the case might be. They would lay it on the altar. That altar would be ignited. Flames would consume that sacrifice and it would be offered up to God. So much so in a way that what was laid on that altar had no other use. No one could come up to the altar and be like, hey, I'm going to use this for something else. And so I feel like in the same way, Paul is pointing to that sacrifice, meaning, hey, our lives should be sacrificed to God in that way. Taking the posture in the heart of God, all that I am is yours. God, I want to give my life to you because of all that you've done. I want to lay my life on your altar, ignite my heart, consume my soul to where everything is given to you. There's nothing left. This is a sacrifice that Paul and the word of God is pointing us to. This living sacrifice. Man, and it's, in, and it's an incredible, incredible thing. And the way that that takes place, okay, because again, we're not going to physically lay ourselves down on an altar. But the way that takes place is what Paul was saying by changing the way that we think. By changing the way that we think. If you guys can uh, remember all the way back to Romans chapter 1. The thing that got us in trouble was some wrong thinking. All right, in that chapter, Paul describes, hey, we were exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And then our minds were given over to dark thinking. And so if we desire to live the life that Christ has made available to us, we cannot do that by thinking the way that we've always thought. Our minds have to be transformed. Our minds have to be renewed. Man, the status quo that the world has to offer us will no longer do because God has a better way for us to think and live. So my first point in terms of let's live is let's live aligned. Okay, let's live aligned. God, help me align my thoughts, my attitudes, my intentions, my motives with your will. Your good and perfect and pleasing will. As we see there in verse two, you know, a lot of times we can make it a little bit more complicated than what it really needs to be. God, what's your will? What's your will? And maybe we'll reach out to space and maybe, you know, try to make things up in in the way that we think we can live for God or, or, you know, have conversations and talk. God has made his will clearly available to us through his word. Through his word. We don't need to make it complicated. We don't. Uh, need to to make it more difficult than it is. If we want to align our lives with God, we have to align our hearts, our thoughts, our actions, our motives with God's word, with his word. And so it's interesting, my family and I were planning a trip uh, not too long ago, and um, it's going to be taken later on in in the spring. And as we were kind of looking for some cost-effective ways to take our large family on this trip, someone suggested taking the train. And 
I haven't had very many good experiences on a train. Uh, I took one tour in Branson, Missouri, and it was, I, I would name the tour Death by Boredom. I mean, it was just a, yeah, it was not a fun experience. And then uh, my, my, my wife and I lived abroad for a few years, and my second experience on a train almost caused me to have to jump off of a moving train. And so, like, this whole idea of trains has not been very uh, encouraging to me. Um, but I'm considering, you know, taking this, this, this family trip on a train. And it's interesting, when you think about a train or any journey that you're going to take on a train, we all know what has to happen in order for that journey to take place on a train. There has to be tracks. And those tracks have to be aligned with one another for the entire journey. I have an uncle who worked for the railroad for decades, and I remember the stories that he would tell as a dispatcher and an engineer that any time there was even the slightest deviation of alignment on those tracks, anywhere in that journey, there will be significant delays or there will be significant damage caused to the train and the people on it. And I was thinking about that, and it's like, wow, so too it is with our life. When our life isn't rightly and fully aligned with the word and the will of God, guess what's going to happen? There are going to be significant delays. And man, there's actually the potential of there being significant damage or danger, not only to our lives, but to the lives of those around us. And so let's be assured to live a life that is aligned with God. And so moving on here in these verses, picking up in verses 6 through 8. Um, is it, if it wasn't good enough for God to give us this incredible gift of his son, as if it wasn't good enough for God to offer this incredible life to us, guess what? He gives us gifts. So not only is the good news for everyone, but the good news keeps getting better. Come on, people. It keeps getting better. Like the more you're faithful to walk and allow this good news to take shape and root in your life, it continues to get better over and over again. I've only been a Christian for 16 years, and I'm telling you, I can bear witness. It keeps getting better. Just stay after it. So here in these verses, it says, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If you have the gift of serving others, then serve them well. If you're a teacher, then teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take, res- take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So as we read off that list of these incredible gifts, not only that God has given to us, but that Jesus Christ has modeled perfectionately, what gift do you see God has given you? Because as we think about what took place in Genesis 1, as we've been made in God's image and we're called to reflect his goodness, his character, we see Jesus reflected these gifts here on the screen in this verse in an amazing way. Guess what? We've got a responsibility to reflect them as well. So as you look at that gift, or as you look at this list, man, do you see a gift in here that God has given you? And as you think about that gift, ask yourself this question, is that gift activated. So that's my second point for a way that let's live, let's live a life that is activated. 
Let's live a life that's activated. Not, not on the sidelines, not uh, only using our gifts when we're in the right mood or when we feel like it or when it's convenient or when it's easy. Are we living a life activated? Are you activating those gifts in this church right now? Are you activating those gifts in your family and on your campuses? Man, we have to live a life that's activated. You know, one of the difficult things about, about gifts and being in a church community is that oftentimes our eye or our attention could be looking or set on other people's gifts. So, okay, yeah, I think God has given me this gift, but, you know, man, I wish I had that person's gift or maybe them over there. They're not using that gift in a way that's best beneficial, so maybe I should try to step in and do it for them. And, you know, that's not really beneficial. Matter of fact, it's actually dangerous. You know, I've heard it said, and I, man, I, f- I really believe it's true that uh, when, we, when we do these things, it's called comparison, all right? And I've heard it said that comparison is the game that everyone plays, but no one wins. What? It's, comparison is a game everyone plays, but no one wins. And it's so true. And it can sabotage this incredible life that Christ has for you. Uh, biblically thinking, I am, uh, I'm reminded in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18. So everyone's familiar with the chapter before, David and Goliath. David slaying Goliath. But in verse 18, it describes this relationship between King Saul and David. That as they were entering back into the city, after this incredible victory had been won, the people would come out and they were giving more praise and acclaim and acclamation to David. They came out singing a song saying, you know, King Saul has killed thousands, but David has slain or killed ten thousands. And in that moment, it says that King Saul heard the praises of the other people. There was a comparison that began to take place. And then it says, from that moment on, King Saul's eyes were set on David. His eyes were no longer on God. His eyes were no longer on the calling that he, he, he had given him. I mean, he was a king. I mean, what's he doing thinking about this guy? And his calling was sabotaged because he got tangled in this comparison game. Because he was focused on someone else's giftings and not what God had gifted him to do. And so let's make sure that we live with our faith activated. You know, uh, is anyone here excited for fall like I am? Yes. Excited for fall. You know, the homecoming. We've got the changing uh, of the leaves. We've got uh, way too many pumpkin flavors. I mean, they're just unnecessary. Like, it's not necessary. There doesn't need to be a pumpkin everything. Um, there's so many excited things to look forward to about fall, but for me personally, one of the things that I get most excited about, and I know I don't pass the look test, is I really like to hunt. And you're probably looking at me like, how do you sneak up on anything? And it's very, very difficult, but maybe that's what kind of adds to the thrill. And I know, like, some people, it might, it might not be your thing, but just, just track with me, there is a, a, a version of hunting that uses dogs, that you hunt with gun dogs, that I had an opportunity to, to do several times. And I'm not a dog person, and it's not an indictment on dogs, I'm just not a dog person. We've got a lot of kids, enough mouths to feed and poop to clean up right now, so just, that's where we're at. But it is so interesting 
that these gun dogs, this particular kind of breeds that you'll see up here on the screen, they are very family-friendly breeds. They have a really good temperament. They're fun to be around. You know, they don't shed all that much. Uh, they're very loyal, and so they're a very popular family dog. But it's interesting if you've ever had the opportunity to hunt behind one of these dogs and you've seen them in their element, you know and you recognize that they're not made to be in a house. <laughs> they're not made to be tame and docile. They're not made to roll over and do tricks. <laughs> these things were made to activate a particular kind of gifting to be out in the wild hunting. And when you see it, it is magnificent. It's magnificent. I mean, you can even see like here. So up here in the, the top left hand, this is a, a German short hair. And so as soon as you let them out of the truck, their nose hits the ground and they're pursuing covey of quail or pheasant. And when they get close to one, they go into this posture right here called a point. And I'm telling you, you can be out there excited to harvest and, and, and chew and, you know, get, get the birds. But when you look at that, you're like, wow, this is exactly what this animal was made to do. And then when I go back in town and I see one of these breeds, you know, being walked or maybe have like a little cute winter jacket on <laughs> or like something like that, you can be like, man, that ain't right. <laughs> but so too it is with our lives. When we are functioning in the giftings that God has given us, people can look at our lives and say, yes. That is exactly what they were made to do. But on the other hand, when we don't, that's not very appealing. That's not really the type of Christianity that I want to be exposed to. or I'm not, That's not very uh, infectious or attractive. And so let's make sure that we're living an activated life with the gifts that God has given us. And so moving on. Continuing in these verses, uh, a lot of this talks about uh, relationships, uh, relationships with God, relationships with other people, relationships with uh, authority. And so here in these verses, 9 through 16, Paul makes this, this list of effective ways to interact with people. And so as I read this list, I want you guys to kind of take note to what your antenna is attuned to. Because in this list, there are things that were to do, but there are also things that were not to do. And I just want you to just kind of take an inventory in your heart. Which one am I more prone to hear? Which, which side of the coin or which uh, side of the list am I more prone to get excited about participating in? And so let's follow along here. Paul continues, he says, do not pretend to love others, but really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring one another. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you, don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who are weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think 
you know it all. Okay? So as we read off that list of these kind of do's and don'ts, um, which one is your heart more prone uh, to want to engage in? And, man, it's really my hope that you would be encouraged to engage in the doing. Okay, the doing. You know, I didn't grow up a Christian, and one of my indictments for so long about not wanting to be a Christian is I just thought it was a bunch of rules. I just thought it was a bunch of things not to do. But I'm so thankful that we can see here, even in this short scripture, but even throughout all of scripture, God has given us some incredible things to do. And those are the things that we should focus on. So to my next point is, man, let's live assertively. Let's live assertively to recognize the life that God has called us to live, the things that he's called us to do, and let's put our time and our effort and our energy into those things. Now, I know we're transitioning out of summer into fall, but I think it's helpful as we, if we can remember maybe a time this summer or maybe during your childhood, like, hey, for the most part, people enjoy swimming, right? Maybe it's in a, a water park, like it's getting ready to be shown here on the screen. Maybe you've had a chance to, to engage in an environment like this, or maybe it's just been like a local pool. But it's interesting. There are certain rules when it comes to pools, right? And the universal rule is what? Don't run. Okay, don't run. That's a universal pool rule. You know, there's some other ones that are kind of woven in there. Hey, you know, no glass objects around the pool deck. Or the one that I, that I liked the least was like, hey, no outside food. It's like, I'm not paying $9 for your grilled cheese sandwich. Like, no, I'm bringing my own food into the pool. But it's interesting. When you think about going into an environment like this, maybe as you're on the drive there or you're getting your things in the parking lot, your, your, your pool towel, your sunscreen, your goggles, no one ever goes into this type of environment thinking, my goal today is to make sure that the lifeguard does not blow their whistle at me. And if that happens, it's going to be a great day at the pool. <laughs> like, does anyone think like that when they go to this type of environment? No. They're excited about the wave pool and the water slides and the lazy river, all of these incredible things that they get to enjoy. That's what their focus is on. And when they hit those gates, hey, even though there are certain rules that they have to follow, they're assertively going after the life and entertainment that's made available to them. So why as Christians do we live our life thinking, okay, if I go about today and I don't get jealous, if I don't lust, if I don't lash out in anger, then that's a good day. It's like, man, the life that Christ has made available to us is so much more than just trying to follow those rules, manage a good life, put on a good front for people. But he wants us to live assertively and getting into all this stuff, right? Man, he wants us to be kind. He wants us to give generously. He wants us to lead and to use our giftings. And that can only happen if we're living an assertive life. So let's, let's be faithful to do that. And so as we're transitioning into chapter 13, as I'm getting ready to come to a close, and Paul highlights this uh, other type of relationship, you know, transitioning from me to we, that we have to function in. And it is this reality of authority. Now, I know, hey, as soon as I got asked to preach on these two chapters, my mind went, hey, I'm excited about chapter 12, but verse 13, man, you start off with authority. Come on now. Like, man, no one wants to preach on this. No one wants to hear about this. 
but it's so important. So let's just take a look at this, and I believe God wants to give us a fresh perspective on authority. Um, here are these verses. Here in, in chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, it says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Wow. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For, for the authorities do not strike fear in the people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of authorities? Then do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants since for your good. Mm. How is that reshaping? How is that? How is that? How's, how is that right now? I, I did not like it. I did not like it. You know, because of sin and our sinful nature, our, our natural inclination is want to rebel, resist authority, right? But here we see that all authority comes from where? It comes from God. And all the authority that's been put in our life, teachers, bosses, law enforcement, government, the word of God says have been placed there for our good. It's like, oh, man, that's that's tough. That's tough. Because you know what? All of us have probably been under some oppressive authority. Right. You know, whether we see it on the news, maybe whether we've experienced it. I really believe God has a solution for those things. But man, will we first of all trust God that I trust your authority? I trust that all authority is from you. That all the authority in my life that has been delegated to other people, even though they may be sinful, even though they may, may be broken, God, I believe that you've put them in my life for my good. Man, it first starts with a place of trust. Man, will we trust God? And, you know, it's interesting that, um, you know, one of the things that God really enjoys, I believe, as we, we survey scripture, is he enjoys order. And I think we all know that the human heart left unchecked with uh, commandments and statutes and laws and precepts, as it talks about in the Psalms or even authorities, the human heart left unchecked, evil will flourish. It'll flourish in our life and it'll flourish in the world. And so it's important for God to not only have authority, to show authority himself, but also to delegate authority to other people. And so, man, how are we going to view that? Man, will we trust God in that? And I also think that here in these verses that Paul just isn't talking about kind of a general type of authority, but he's really wanting to address an area in the heart of fear. He mentions it twice here. And so as we think about the Roman church and the type of authority that they were living under, it was very difficult, right? It was oppressive uh, in, in ways that we couldn't even imagine Uh, I'm so thankful that Paul, even earlier in Romans chapter 9, points back to what took place in Exodus. How he says, hey, that even the authority that Pharaoh was abusing over the people of Israel, guess what? God was able to use it for good. And so it's not just about, hey, what authority has in its place over in our life. But when we resist authority, when we are trying to conceal our lives or find loopholes against authority or when we're afraid of being caught or found out, it causes fear in our life. And so here he's saying, hey, if you don't want to be afraid of authority, then just do what's right. 
And why is this area of fear important that he's addressing? Because fear causes us to be paralyzed. It causes paralysis. It causes us to stop living the life that God has made available to us. You know, I think back to my time in high school growing up. I grew up in, this, uh, in a town called Leavenworth, Kansas. It's not too far away from here. I had a lot of authority in my life. Uh, my parents, very strict. I didn't get in much trouble in high school because my parents didn't play. Also, in Leavenworth, there's a military base. And so, uh, code of conduct, discipline, very strict environment in terms of the people that lived in there. There are probably about a dozen people in the town that literally could whoop me on the spot. <laughs> without my parents' permission, without any kind of explanation of, hey, what I did wrong, they could just let it fly. So that's the kind of environment that I grew up in. Also, there were six prisons in my town. So I would get on my bike, and any direction that I would go, I would run into like a barbed wire fence. And so we had uh, wardens, we had correctional officers, we're all like living in our community. So it was a pretty disciplined community with a lot of authority. And so one time in high school, a neighboring high school, there was a friend of mine, his parents were going out of town, and they lived out in the country. And so two high schools descended upon this little country, uh, like this little, this little farm, and uh, partying, having a good time, and I wasn't really engaged in wild living in high school because of that fear of authority, uh, but it was a wild party. And so it was interesting. We're sitting there hanging out, and people thought that it was going to be an insulated time because we're out in the country, and then all of a sudden, flashing lights everywhere. <laughs> and I'm sitting on the porch, and there's probably 200 high school students there, and it's like people just scattering <laughs> everywhere into the woods, jumping in hay bale. I mean, they're everywhere. And the interesting thing was, is that because I hadn't been doing anything wrong at that time, I had zero fear, and I just sat on the porch and laughed the entire time <laughs> with my friends. Like, man, you got cut from the track team, but you look how fast you're running, man. That's crazy. <laughs> and so law enforcement comes, and, and um, you know, I have to take breathalyzer. They, I, no fear. You know, breathalyzer test, walking the line, oh, a little afraid to count ABCs backwards because nobody can do that, you know. But there was, there was no fear because I hadn't done anything wrong. And so I get in my car, I'm driving home down these gravel roads to get back to town, and then I'm seeing all of my friends kind of like walking along these ditches, you know, lost shoes, clothes torn, <laughs> poison ivy, and like, man, they're afraid of being caught, they're afraid of being found out, all of these incredible things. Sadly, I did not continue that trajectory of life. When I got to college, I went crazy. In my first two years in college, it's amazing how much time and energy I wasted trying to evade the authorities, trying to find loopholes, trying to conceal and cover my wrongdoing. And I'm thinking, like, wow, if I could have had that energy, that time, and that effort back, there could have been some significant work done for the kingdom. If I could have had that fear replaced with faith in my heart during that time of being fearful of authorities, being fearful of found out, there could have been some significant things that could have taken place. And so as we think about this reality of authority that Paul's pointing out to it, my, my last point here is can we live accountable? Can we live accountable to, number one, God's authority and also to the authority that he's placed in our life? Because they're not mutually exclusive. You know, I, I know, and I'm even guilty of this, in my heart, I can find myself saying, oh, hey, yes, I can, I'm good with living under God's authority, 
But you know what, with the authority of maybe governing figures or, or supervisors in my life, you know what, I'm not, re- I'm not really down with that. But this verse leaves no room because the word of God says that God has placed that type of authority over our lives for our good. And so, man, let's take this view. Let's take this posture of dealing and engaging with authority and let's be accountable to it. Let's have trust in God. God, you are the ultimate authority that you've placed authoritative figures in my life. They might be unbelievers. They might be oppressive. God, I trust that you've done them. You've done it for my good. And I believe even what took place in Exodus under that leadership, that you can somehow use it for incredible and amazing good. And so as we finish up here, Paul closes up as I'm closing up. I love how he says the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Come on, let's live. Let's live. Let's live. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Activate those gifts. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity or immoral living or quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let, okay, remember, are we living or are we letting? All right, don't let, don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. And so here we've got these four points here, and I know it could seem like a lot, Man, where do I start? How do I um, activate these things in my life? Hey, just start with one. Man, ask the Holy Spirit, which one are you putting your finger on that I can apply to my life this week? And let's live. Amen? I mean, hey, let's stand to our feet. And uh, Jonathan, can I just go ahead and close the prayer? Let's stand. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah? Let's stand to our feet and we'll pray. And um, I'll invite Jonathan back up and, and he'll dismiss you. All right, Father God, we thank you so much for not only a life that was laid down in Christ, Lord, but a life that has been made available to us through his sacrifice and through your Holy Spirit living in us. God, we ask that you would make us a people that wouldn't let life happen to us, but we will go and live the life that is aligned with your word. God, that we would live a life that is activating the gifts that you've given us. Lord, that we would live a life that is assertively pursuing kingdom living. And Lord, that we would live a life that is accountable to not only your authority, but all the authority that you've placed over into our life. God, and as we do that, may we be an accurate and affectionate reflection of who you are into all the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.